This is the Building Resilience Podcast, episode 133, Three Guiding Principles for Improving Your Memory. Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast, where you will learn all about building resilience in yourself and helping others build it too. Drawing from the principles of positive psychology, neuroscience, and coaching, I will help you face all the challenges and adversities that life throws at you and help you do more than just survive. I will help you thrive. I am your host, Leah Davidson, and I am a certified life coach and speech-language pathologist. I will help you manage your mind, your emotions, deal with your stress and your overwhelm, and lead a more purposeful and joyful life. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast. If you are interested or concerned about your memory, then this episode is for you. Memory is an area that I actually spend a lot of time working on with my clients who have experienced a brain injury. But I think it is something that many people are concerned about, whether you've had an injury or not. In fact, uh, several weeks ago, I was out with friends for dinner from my university days. We have not been together all together in 30 years. And one of them was talking about getting older and having a few memory blips here and there, which I told them it's totally normal. And I actually created an online class that you can purchase. The link is in the show notes. And I teach this class live for many of my SLP clients. We just finished up not so long ago, a nine-week course. But I think that even if you don't have an injury, learning about your memory and what you can do to help it, if you've had some challenges with memory, or if it's just a natural progression with age, It is important to learn about because you need to be constantly stimulating your mind and stimulating your memory. So I thought today I'd introduce you to a few principles that I do teach in my online course, just to get you thinking about your memory and how to improve it. Now, my course is called Memory Matters, and I divide it into different sections and I use different acronyms. The framework of the course is called MAP Lifestyle and Tools because I teach what MAP is, which we'll review in a second. And then we review lifestyle things that are related to memory and can help with your memory. And then I teach all the different tools, external, meaning things you can do outside of yourself and internal, the things that you can do in your mind to help improve your memory. Now today, I wanna teach you all about MAP because it stands for some fundamental principles. They are kind of foundational to working on improving your memory. If you do not have MAP, you will not be able to improve your memory. So let's look at what MAP stands for. Now the M in MAP stands for three M's, mindset, motivation, and meaning. If you want to improve your memory, you need to have mindset, motivation, and meaning. All right, let's dive into mindset. What do I mean by mindset? Basically your mindset is a lens through which you view the world. We've talked about this many times before. But if you believe that memory is something that is fixed and it can't be improved, then chances are you are going to struggle to improve your memory and not get very far. What we think creates how we feel and how we feel fuels our actions and our actions create our results. So if you think it's impossible to improve your memory, that you're just somebody who has a bad memory, you're likely going to feel pretty hopeless and frustrated and your efforts will likely be half-hearted and sporadic and that will affect your results. But if you believe that your memory can improve, 
you likely will feel inspired and motivated and that will lead you to trying things and putting in extra effort and being committed to practice. And the results you will get will reflect your I can do this mindset. So whether you believe that you can learn, grow, improve your memory makes all the difference. Mindset is everything. And I think it was Henry Ford who said, whether you think you can or think you can't, you are right. This holds true for improving your memory. Now, motivation is the second M. You might be wondering, all right, what does motivation have to do with memory? Well, in order for you to remember something, you need to be motivated. If you don't care if you remember something, your brain is not going to pick it up. It's not going to make it a priority. For example, you may not care to remember that my name is Leah Davidson or any of the things that I tell you about myself. But if I said anyone who can tell me my name and three things about me will get a million dollars, you can bet that your motivation to remember will have significantly increased. Not only would your brain have tried a little harder to remember, but you would have been motivated to at least utilize some of the strategies. So motivation, it counts. You always want to find your why and try to increase your motivation. And it can be helpful to ask yourself, how motivated am I to really get a read on your motivation level and then ask yourself, okay, what can I do to increase this motivation? Which kind of turns into our next M, which is meaning. If something is meaningful to you, you are much more likely going to remember it. Our brain is wired to remember what we find meaningful, novel, or emotional. So think of the memories you've created. You may not remember what you had for dinner on February 17, 2015, but you may remember what you ate the night your partner proposed because it's meaningful to you and has emotion connected with it. And our brains also remember something that is novel, something that is unusual. So if you want to remember, then you need to do things to up the meaning. And again, reminding yourself of your why can really help with your level of meaning too. You want to try to build in as much meaning as possible. So those are the three M's, mindset, motivation, and meaning. Now let's talk about the A in MAP. A stands for attention. Now many people think they have a memory problem. But what they really have is often an attention problem or a combination. You cannot remember what you do not pay attention to. Without attention, there really is nothing to remember. So attention is a skill that will always need addressing first when you're working on your memory. And we can divide attention a bit further so you can learn about the different kinds and which ones you're struggling with. I'm going to give you a very general overview. Attention can be divided into different categories. The first one is sustained attention, which is basically our ability to maintain our attention for a specific period of time during continuous and repetitive activities. It's easy to sustain our attention when things are simple, short, and interesting. It's hard to sustain our attention when things are complex, long, and boring. All right, so right there, you know, if you want to up your sustained attention, you know what to do. You need to simplify, you need to shorten, and you need to make things more interesting. Now, the second category of attention is what we call executive control. It's essentially working memory. Now, this is a newer category that has been introduced in about the past decade. It's our ability to hold on and manipulate information in your own head. 
So it allows you to integrate new information with existing information to store it in memory. Essentially, it's a form of memory. It's often classified as memory. So you can kind of see how attention and memory are so closely linked together because I'm including it under the category of attention. Now, executive control is the next category of memory, and this is what we'll call selective attention. It's our ability to selectively pay attention to some information while filtering out our distractions. So like paying attention to a conversation in the presence of distracting noise, or maybe paying attention to what I'm saying on this podcast while you have your children talking in the background. Now, there are internal and external distractions. Those are the two types. External are the ones that we often think about. So these are things like noise and visual distractions, but they can also include things like temperature or smell or lighting or even your overall comfort level. If you are sitting beside a pile of garbage, it's going to be hard to pay attention. If the lights are glaringly bright, it's going to be hard to pay attention. If you are freezing cold, yes, it will be hard to pay attention. And if there's a lot going on within your visual arena, you will have a hard time paying attention. Now, internal distractors are actually really important to identify. And a lot of times we don't realize how much they are impacting our attention. So I'm referring to things like fatigue or pain or just even your emotions or your thoughts, your own self-talk, daydreaming, boredom. But it could also be sensations like hunger or needing to go to the bathroom. You have to first try to become aware of what things distract you because then you're going to need to fix them. So here's some examples of what you can do to fix them. For example, for external, turn electronics off, silence reminders or alarms, get noise canceling earphones or musician earplugs if noise is a big deal for you, adjust lights and temperature. Make sure that you have equipment that is comfortable for you and position yourself to avoid visual distractions. So for example, if you're a student, choose seating where you can just see the teacher and not everybody else in class and you're sitting away from the door. Choose where you sit in restaurants. Choose even which restaurants you go to. Create an environment that is conducive to learning with limited distractions for you outside and at home. Now, for internal distractions, again, we have to deal with them. And sometimes there's easy ones, like if you're hungry, get something to eat. If you have to go to the bathroom, then go. If you have pain, then you're going to want to manage your pain. You're maybe going to want to take some of the medications you have. Try out some relaxation techniques. If you have challenges with chronic pain, there is pain reprocessing therapy, which is something that I'm trained in. And I would love to share with you how that works if pain is something you are struggling with. Then there's also fatigue. You may have to pace yourself. You may have to take some naps. And then, of course, stress, emotions, feelings. You want to be dealing with these distractions, talking, journaling, watch your thoughts. That whole negative self-talk can be really distracting. Now, the next category for attention is executive control or suppression, which is really your ability to control impulsive responding, like trying not to interrupt during a conversation. And then we have another kind of attention called, under the category of executive control, alternating attention. And this is your ability to shift, and sometimes very quickly, one's focus of interest between tasks or activities, like talking on the phone and cooking. 
Now, they used to include divided attention as a category of attention, but they found that you can very rarely divide your attention. When you are quote unquote multitasking, you're essentially going back and forth. Your brain can't really do two things at once. But even going back and forth like that, frequently switching between tasks will overload your brain and can actually make you quite inefficient. Not to mention that every time you do go back and forth, you lose time during the switch. Now, your brain needs to transition time to stop and start up again. So you're essentially wasting time. You are also more prone to make errors when you're trying to multitask because if you do not have your full attention on something, you are also more prone to make errors when you're trying to multitask because you don't have your full attention on anything. Now, other pitfalls include if you're switching tasks too slowly, you could end up forgetting what you were doing. You could end up forgetting what are the two tasks that I was doing. If it's too fast, you get confused. Now, our brains are truly meant to be single task. So if at all possible, just try to do one thing at a time. If you have to do multitasking, quote unquote, just be aware that both will be slightly degraded. So don't do it if things are important. And the message that you're sending to others, you want to be aware of as well. I don't value you enough to give you my full attention. If you do insist on multitasking, then try to pair it with something very automatic and something else. Although we still see that with driving, it's still not great. Now, Dr. Sandra Chapman has done a lot of work studying the brain and multitasking. And she said that we live in a society that seems to place high value on multitasking. And there's even this perception that the more you can do it once, the more intelligent and efficient you must be. And some people even think that's a good challenge for the brain to multitask, but it is not. Multitasking actually exhausts your mind, depletes your cognitive resources, and will actually impact your cognitive sharpness And then it increases stress. Chronic multitaskers have increased levels of cortisol, which is that stress hormone. That is it for attention. Lastly, the P in MAP stands for practice. Now, practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes progress. Our brain is amazing and it has the ability to change and rewire and learn new things. That's the power of neuroplasticity. But it's not a quick process. It requires practice over and over and over again. Our brain uses pathways that are very well-worn. That's the first choice. Now, often when somebody has an injury, some of those paths have roadblocks and are inaccessible. So the way you used to remember things may no longer be effective. Or maybe you simply want to change what you're doing or you want to try to learn something new. So you're going to have to create a new route. I like to think of it like you're trying to forge a new path into a jungle. You have to clear a lot of trees, a lot of bush. You have to get in with your machete and chop things down. You need to keep doing things over and over and over, and eventually a new path will form. Then your brain will start using that path as its go-to because it's becoming the more popular one. But it takes a lot of practice and rehearsal to make this new path. You need to have patience, which I guess is another P. But let's talk about the difference between practice and learning, because both are part of neuroplasticity. Both are involved in how to rewire the brain. Now, Tom Sterner wrote a great book called The Practicing Mind. In it, he shares that you can be involved in learning 
or you can be involved with practicing. Learning and practice are similar words, but they're not the same. And Sterner really helps us see the difference. The word practice implies the presence of awareness and will. When we practice something, we are involved in the deliberate repetition of a process with the intention of reaching a specific goal. The words deliberate and intention are important words here because they define the difference between actively practicing something and passively learning something. Practice then, in essence, encompasses learning, but learning does not encompass practice. Learning is more about consuming, just taking information in. It's still very valuable. We want to learn and we want to consume. Practice, though, involves the doing, the action, the creation. And guess which one is going to have the biggest effect of rewiring your brain? Practice. You can learn all you want about how to swim on YouTube videos. You can read about it. You can watch other people do it. You can even sit by the pool. But until you practice it, until you get in the water and try to swim, you're really not creating the pathways for change. So as far as memory goes, you need to practice. You can listen to me talk about memory and you can learn some things. But if you really want to truly work on your memory, you need to be actively learning and practice. And by active learning, I mean maybe things like taking notes and reviewing the notes and putting things into your own words, maybe talking over what you're learning or what you heard with somebody else. Maybe you're talking it over and sharing this podcast with a friend and then discussing what you've learned. You can also just teach people what it is that you've learned, your own interpretation, because teaching really is one of the best ways to practice. And then, of course, you want to learn strategies and then practice them in your daily life, not just once or twice, but over and over and over. For example, there's a specific technique that's called spaced retrieval. And spaced retrieval is where you learn something and then you review it and repeat the learning over and over again in increasing increments at a time. So like in five minutes, I'll repeat it in 15 minutes and 30 minutes and three hours and six hours and a day and three days. I like to think of it like drinking water. It's better for your body to be consistently sipping water throughout the day. It's more palatable to do, and your body can absorb it better. So space retrieval is like sips of information for your brain, small amounts frequently. Except with space retrieval, you're continuously going over the same information to help learn it and even overlearn it. It is helping encode the information and consolidate the information and then store the information and it will even help you with retrieval. That's why it's such a powerful technique. So that's an example of a technique that you might want to practice. So that is MAP, the three main principles that are foundational for improving your memory. Without them, improvement will be very limited. So this is where we always want to start. We want to start with the M, which is mindset, motivation, and meaning. The A is got to be paying attention. And then P You have to be practicing. If you want to improve your memory, then you have to follow the principles of MAP. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Have a great week, everybody, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Building Resilience Podcast. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about managing stress, building resilience, and leading a more purposeful life, then make sure we're connected on Instagram and Facebook at Leah Davidson Life Coaching. 
You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter at www.leahdavidsonlifecoaching.com forward slash newsletter. Looking forward to connecting. 